Hi, this is Tom Compton. You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about a subject. This is an update of a subject we just talked about recently. It was uh, We were reviewing the report on Sudan that... Chuck made in the end of 1998 about slave trades there, and it's a very fascinating program, and we hope that you can tune into that. It's on the podcast site. It's called uh, The Redemption of Slaves in Sudan. One of the organizations that was involved uh, in this activity, uh, in addition to Christian Solidarity International, is a group called The Voice of the Martyrs, and this is to the persecuted church. And so we had an occasion here with Chuck Carlson actually attending a church service in Colorado where a representative of the Voice of the Martyrs was there, a gentleman from Pakistan. And so we're going to have Chuck talk about that and get his view on this because, as we know, these types of charities that play on their emotions, the plight of these people, and there certainly are people being persecuted for their faith around the world, but this is a fairly big operation, Voice of the Martyrs. It's something like $40 million a year, so there's a lot of money in this. And so what Chuck has to tell us from his report, I think, is kind of telling because this gentleman who has his own ministry it actually was there under the auspices of Voice of the Martyrs. So, Chuck, why don't you give us a little report on what you heard at this church? Okay, what's uh, so interesting about this, of course, is uh, that this is a mainline church. It's not a Christian Zionist church. It wouldn't even know what that term meant. Uh, they don't talk about uh, faith healing they don't believe that pastors and laymen around the church have the ability to lay hands on people's heads and they'll get well from their fatal diseases. Uh, they, they, they don't teach that at all. They, they, they don't believe that Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. They think Israel is another country. There isn't anything in the, in, in the church's doctrine or anything that would lead one to think that they would ever allow a Zionist Christian to come in and participate. But this is happening now. It turns out that there has been, a, of course, as we know, a movement into the dispensational evangelical churches for years that's uh, grown very large and has created the, the, the enormous Christian Zionist voting bloc that eventually supports war. It, it supports war because the wars are good for Israel and because they're against Islam. That argument would not normally work in a mainline church, such as an old-fashioned Methodist church. It has its own problems and errors. Uh, a Presbyterian church, USA, we've talked about before, churches that are actually revolting against this idea of war and are seeing where the blame is coming from and are blaming it on Christian Zionism. Uh, but we now have several organizations, and tonight we're only going to talk about uh, this one, that are apparently approaching mainline churches such as a Lutheran church or a Catholic church or a Presbyterian church, and they have a slightly different approach. But again, the story is the same. 
their line from the very beginning is Islam is incredibly wicked and evil. Everything about it is evil. This pastor that came to this church named uh, Maja al-Mashiach, and I'll call him Mashiach, he came there, uh, he lives in the United States, he's a Pakistani, he speaks excellent, really polished English almost, he's an attractive guy, and uh, not too old, he's been in the United States for 13 and a half years, and all that time he's been working for an organization called Voice of the Martyrs, and more recently, in the last three years, he set up his own mission organization on the side, which is called Faith Covenant International, and he carries out a purpose in going to these churches. That purpose is fundraising. Fundraising is what Mashiach is all about. His whole program in the church is raising funds, but the way he does it plays directly into the hands of the war-making apparatus that's trying to promote us right back into Iraq, and in this time also into Syria, in a war against ISIL, ISIL, or sometimes called ISIS. And uh, you'll read on our site uh, about this uh, promoted war against people that we have no business going to war with, and we'll not elaborate on that. We'll just let you uh, take our word for that for the moment, if you would be so kind, uh, until you learn otherwise. Now, Mr. Mashiach came into this uh, small church, and he met in a private uh, room with a kind of the old line leaders of the church who come early. He had a Sunday school room. And during this thing, it became very clear that his agenda was self-promotional because he passed out all kinds of stuff for uh, people to fill out and to get free things from his organization. So he wanted people to connect directly with his organization. So there are two results from what's being done by people like Mr. Mashid. One of them is he plants indelibly in people's mind a hatred and even a fear of Islam, and he does it very cleverly by, by statements he made. Uh, in his private session, which he did not think was recorded, and, uh, but, but I listened and took careful notes and did record it, he claimed that there is an active Al-Qaeda cell, Al-Qaeda being, of course, against the law in the United States, and he claims it operates out of the Parker Mosque, and people are scared to death of Al-Qaeda. And uh, here he's saying that this largest mosque in Denver, in the Denver area, I've been in it, is operating an Al-Qaeda cell within it. He tells people that, and they believe it. It's probably grounds for a lawsuit, almost, if you're a Muslim today, to be accused of running a, an Al-Qaeda cell. It's quite questionable <laughs> that they do. He paints Muslims as, as being degenerate. He starts out by... Uh, claiming that Muhammad was a pedophile. Now, how one would know that about somebody who lives in the 7th century, I don't know, but his assertion is based upon his statement that Muhammad's second wife was a six-year-old child. So this he then takes as, as reason to make a conclusion about Muhammad, which he then tries to paint everyone with, saying that they all really feel that way. And then he talks about multiple wives. He claims that he was on an airplane and he saw this imam on the airplane. He names uh, the mosque he came from. And he was scared to death and he prayed all the way home that the plane would land, applying that, that the imam from the mosque might be on the plane to blow it up. Uh, this, this is the kind of things that are spread throughout the congregation and these people don't know any better. They only know what they hear on CBS and so on. He made a rather clever remark about President Obama, 
which is quite political and, of course, out of place in church. He said the, that Obama has seven Muslims in his personal staff, which, of course, if you add him to that number, makes eight Muslims in the government. So he's outright stating that the president of the United States is a secret Muslim. This, of course, we see all the time on the Internet, those of us who watch it on the Internet. But uh, grandmothers who come to church and listen to a guy who's brought in by the deacon board, they're liable to believe that. He says the Ohio election was stolen using flip software to steal votes, and he suggests that this was done to get Obama in office. He also made the sort of clever innuendos. He was talking to some of the ladies in the front row, and he said, be very careful <clears throat> that you don't go out with any Muslim men because uh, they uh, gigolo older widows for their money. So uh, all of this is, some of it's kind of funny, and some of it's kind of risque almost, and, but this is his spiel that he gives. And then he tells about his own life when he became a Christian in Pakistan. Before becoming an American, he was beaten with chains by Muslims who had somehow got command over him. His story, is, of course, is, is a mixed bag because at one point he says that he wasn't raised a Muslim, and at another point he was a Muslim and converted to Christianity, and it's all very puzzling how this all happened. He was in the army, he was this and he was that. And so in listening to him, it's really hard to put together a story that you know is, is what, he, what he's really telling you. But the one thing, of course, that threw up the red flag for us in the first place was that we are well aware that there was a, a fundraising scam carried on through the uh, late 1990s on up through about 201 or 202, got exposed in about 2002 and in 2003 it was more or less beginning to die out. And that was a scheme to free slaves in Sudan by buying them from an occupying organization there called the SPLA. It was a civil war kind of a thing, and one side was to be the uh, slave dealers. Christians were built out of their money by the thousands, tens of thousands probably, in the United States to fund these slave purchases. And it happens that back then we were writing about this and, and researching it, and we happened to bump into Voice of the Martyrs as one of the organizations that was facilitating this uh, purchase of slaves. Shortly after that, uh, in, in the course of a year or two, there began to be people from this slave market who dropped out of it and said that they were disgusted. They, had, they were actually missionaries who learned that it was a fraud and that the money was really going, uh, some of it, to the SPLA, but most of us being kept by the religious organizations that raised the money. And Voice of Martyrs, of course, being one of those at that time. The Voice of Martyrs has since quit doing this, but it turns out that Mr. Masheed runs an organization called Faith Covenant International, and he gave to everyone who was present at his meeting a solicitation that they find a way to put up $1,500 to buy the freedom of a whole family of slaves in Pakistan. So he's moved the slavery from Sudan to Pakistan, and the agents for the slavery is, of course, factories that make bricks, that employ lots of very pathetically poor labor and don't pay them much. And according to Mr. Mashid, these families fall into debt, and pretty soon they're indentured servants to the, to the brick company. And he goes to the brick company and then bails them out and takes them out of there and he gives your $1,500 to the brick company, and the brick company gives him the family of seven, and he takes them away. Well, it sounds amazingly like what we saw 
in Sudan, where uh, it was local villagers who pretended to be slaves for a day. And uh, they did it by doing photo ops in southern Sudan where nobody could possibly go to check on them. Uh, you couldn't even, uh, it was almost impossible to get there, except with the permission of the insurgency forces who were there at the time. So my conclusion after going through all this is that the chances are probably 10 to 1 that most of the money that's raised in the church ends up in the pocket of Mr. Machine, and it's very unlikely that, that there are very many slaves freed as a result of this. But the more important factor, and the one that we're concerned about, since we're really not concerned uh, about the gullible people in this small mainline church giving their money for stupid purposes, inanely suspicious people, we're concerned about the promotion of the next war and how hatred of Islam has been used ever since 1990 to further that purpose. And there's still people today who haven't been able to see that, but strangely enough, when you tell people, most of them can see it. The only problem is most people do actually believe that there probably is an Al-Qaeda cell operating in the Parker, Colorado Mosque. If someone tells them that, they're inclined to believe that. They, they probably believe that Muhammad was a pedophile because they don't like Muslims and they don't understand their practices and so on. So this man, Mr. Majahid al-Masha, has, he says, visited 500 churches and told this story, if you can imagine that. And he travels all the time. So this is now uh, entry into not the dispensational church where John Hagee goes, because the people in this particular church, this mainline church in Colorado, would not let John Hagee in. They would recognize him. They would recognize his story. They would classify him as a Pentecostal or, or, or some other label, and they would say, no, we don't need your talk here. But this man, by posing as a, uh, a, a very mainline Christian, managed to get in. Well, Chuck, there are opportunists everywhere, and uh, this does sound like an opportunist uh, looking for money and playing on people's sympathies. And that's why we need to be really aware and evaluate what we hear and uh, get some second opinions. It is easy to be uh, caught up in the emotions, and that's, of course, what they play on. But uh, you also had mentioned that his quotations from the Quran didn't jive what you had in your copy of a Quran. And I think that might be interesting uh, to touch on a few points. You did mention the multiple wives, and uh, he went into the 72 virgins when Muslim goes to heaven and things like that. Yeah, it's a little thing, I suppose, but he displayed a couple of scripture verses from the Quran on the screen when he lectured to the church. And then he told us, we presume, what, what these meant. And one of them, uh, I happen to have a Quran, so I wrote down these scripture verses, went home and looked. And he quoted uh, one of them that the, the first one he implied this meant killing Christians. If you die in battle in jihad, which he refers to as, uh, as uh, uh, slaughtering Christians, you will be rewarded with 72 virgins in paradise. This is an, a verse that's thrown around a lot. He had a citation on the screen that you could look at, and I copied that down. It turned out it didn't say anything about any of this at all. Uh, he made another statement that murder the Christians and the Jews and keep them, I think it was bound or imprisoned or something, but I missed the last word. 
uh, Christians and Jews are animals. He went on to read this from the Quran. And, and of course, uh, when I went and looked up the uh, verse in the Quran, it didn't say anything like that. So it's a case of where these guys that do this will say just about anything that works. And, they, and they're very confident in themselves because they're not used to having anybody ever check on them. And I guess they feel confident, just as Craig brought up a little while ago, uh, stating how can you possibly check on this guy to see if he actually does 300 Christian mission churches going in Pakistan, or is that just imaginary? He lists all these salvation events. Uh, He says that they've had 12,845 decisions made for Jesus Christ. That means new members of church. Of those, 2,397 were baptized. Then he went on to say 9,011 experienced physical healing. So this is Benny Hinn-style healing, of course. We, we know what they're talking about. It's something that's done in, uh, in the extreme fringes of, of the dispensational churches, some Pentecostal churches. People like Benny Hinn claim to heal people's injuries and do so publicly. So he basically practices all these techniques when it's appropriate. But in the particular church he was in, he's clever enough not to mention that. Because the mainline churches, as being a church of Christ, simply don't believe that ordinary people are granted powers to do dramatic healing events over people. At least they're not convinced of that. And don't teach that. Uh, I don't want to say nobody believes it. but So, Tom, uh, in answering your question... There's all kinds of little things that show up in this, but as uh, Mr. Hansen asked, how do we check this out? Going to Pakistan and uh, checking out whether this guy has 300 missions, 300 mission churches, and uh, whether you can find anybody who confirms any of this, and whether there really are families who were slaves and uh, their freedom was bought and they're still free. Who knows how you would possibly verify even one scrap of that. I I just don't know how you do it. That was why the slave racket in Sudan worked so well. How in the world can you get to Sudan? I tried and I couldn't even get there. The bungling between Egypt and Sudan getting uh, getting me a passport didn't work. And I was promised one, but it never came. And I got my terrible shots that you have to have to go there. But uh, I never got there. The way the missionaries like Voice of Martyrs got to Sudan was that they went to a foreign country that didn't have any controls. They went to Kenya, I believe, rented an airplane in Kenya, and then flew into southern Sudan over the border, and they landed in territory that had been captured from the government of Sudan by these insurgents, and then they used the insurgents as part of their slave scam and took pictures of them selling slaves to the Voice of Martyrs. So this is basically something that's very hard to check up on. And the only way we ever found out for sure, we knew it was phony because it just couldn't be, that the humans were being sold too cheap. It was an impossible uh, situation. But we couldn't prove it until several, uh, and there were at least two, of the people who were involved in the slave trade denounced it, said they'd seen it firsthand. And actually, I can think of three that, that actually saw this going on firsthand and said it's a phony, it's a sham people are being fleeced out of their money. So I strongly suspect that if we could get to Pakistan, we'd probably find out. And and I also strongly suspect if we confronted Mr. Mashid with this, that he would be very well prepared to give us very pat answers and and invite us to come and see him (laughs) if we could get there. 
Well, my thought on the whole thing is, would this guy give that same presentation in front of a group of Muslims that he's trying to convert? I don't think so. No, he'd say, we love you, we want, to, we want you to follow Jesus. <laughs> so he's talking behind their back is what he's doing. Yeah, yes, it's very, very mean, and very mean-spirited and dirty. These are all dirty little tactics that we've seen before. Muhammad's second wife was given to him by her father, who was a diplomat, as a gift. And, uh, of course, he didn't marry her at the age of, of six years old. But they would answer that in defense of Muhammad and say that at that time it was not unusual for the people to uh, trade their daughters for favors and so on. But the statements that were made about the pedophilia and, and all the other things were, were really vicious little innuendos, very biting little things that he, that he said. And um, he, uh, he just uh, is, is, is really good at it. I, and, and, Chuck, and as you say, Tom, he's supposed to be converting Muslims. How, would, how, how well would he do converting Muslims if he told them this? I would guess, Chuck, that he didn't mention one thing about the fact that Jesus is one of their six or seven revered prophets in Islam. And so, you know, that's typically not even mentioned, that Jesus is revered just as Abraham and Muhammad. They, of course, believe that Muhammad was the last prophet. So it it just just seems very unchristlike what you described here from this presentation. So it should give anybody that listened to this guy some pause for reflection. If they but, thought about it, yeah, they should. They should say this is guy's playing dirty. <laughs> Every one of us is deluged by this kind of propaganda coming from other places that we get through our media, and so we're we're conditioned to this, and it's a lot easier to convince people. Than you think, and that's why it works so well as a fundraiser. Who would not give money to free a family from slavery in a brickyard? Okay, well, uh, thank you, Chuck. That was uh, very insightful. And we would remind people, uh, part of this, I think maybe some of these people, they may be sincere, but they also may understand the, the conditioning of Americans. And we are maybe the, uh, I would guess, the freest in the world, our liberties, but we are the most conditioned. And I want to just mention here, I posted a, a little 14-minute documentary, quite fascinating, about Edward Bernays, the father of modern public relations, also known as propaganda. And it is quite fascinating for what the government, how they control people's thoughts in regards to wars. We call these people war makers because we've had so many wars. So this is worth seeing and getting somebody else to, to look at it, to, to think about these issues. Because as we mentioned, we need to be really critical in our thinking and, and not let emotions rule the day. And so we know that there are people that do take advantage of people using these tactics. So thanks for listening in. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. 
Also at WHTT.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.